Hello, my name is Joseph Angora. Thanks for taking the time out to check out my podcast, Unannounced. Unannounced aims to break the stigma surrounding mental health while reminding listeners that it's okay not to be okay. If you worry about your own or someone else's mental health, don't remain unannounced. Start the conversation and access support. Visit www.stagechelly.com.au slash get help for a list of services. On this week's episode, I sat down with Jed Appleton, a talented musician who was born in Lemoon, New South Wales, before relocating to Tasmania. Jed and I spoke about his childhood, the ups and downs of his music career, dealing with bipolar disorder and so much more. I hope you enjoy listening to Jed's amazing story as much as I did. Well, uh, welcome to the podcast, Jed. Jed Appleton. Um, thanks so much for coming on, taking your time out to have a bit of a chat. Um, I usually just like to start by sort of getting the guests to uh, give us a bit of a background of themselves. So I guess their childhood, school and sport or any sort of any hobbies. And then, yeah, we usually just go from there. Cool. Where do you want to start? Uh, we'll start We'll start from the start, I guess. Great, great place to start. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, 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 well. I mean, I was born in... Um... In Manly, in New South Wales, my family moved from Sydney after our house got uh, robbed in a, it was at a gunshot. So we left Western Sydney, um, which was a rough, rough kind of neighbourhood to be living in. Yeah, we moved to the middle of New South Wales in the middle of nowhere. It all kind of stemmed from there in a place called Wamoon. There's like a community of about 200 people. Yeah, I grew up there for the first eight years of my life. And we kept moving around and I moved schools about eight times. And I, uh, we moved to Hobart when I was about uh, 12. Yeah, I went to Newtown and uh, a lot of stuff happened, but uh, it led me to becoming a songwriter. And that is what I do by trade now and record albums and your house being robbed, how old were you when sort of that happened? I, I was about four years old. I remember I remember the the robber. We, we all got told to uh, uh, go hide behind the couch. And my dad, he just, he didn't understand what was going on. Fair enough. Uh, so he opened the door for the robber and he was at gunpoint. And the dog, we had a Dalmatian, a beautiful big Dalmatian and he came running around the corner and he, he started barking at the robber. This is like a typical, you know, black mask. He followed us from the bank uh, all the way home and he threatened my dad to shoot and the dog was barking. And so he shot the dog. He came in through the house, knocked my mum through a wall. My dad said, yep, have whatever you want. Take my briefcase, which had absolutely nothing in it, apart from a, a couple of receipts which is the funny bit about it, but the dog actually lived. It was amazing. The, the bullet went through his chest and out the other end. And my dad was on the Channel 7 News that night talking about it. And so that's kind of what my first memory of life kind of was, was hiding behind a couch and looking at a robber and running through the hallway trying to save the family and you know a four-year-old can't do a whole lot that was been so scary like how were you sort of feeling how was your family feeling like was did it sort of sink in that you just been robbed like your family like your dog had just been shot like did it sink in at all yeah well to me I, we i was just frightened and the next memory i can remember is we were moving house like two weeks time we left the house and so i think we were kind of you know, on the run from a, for me at a very young age. Um, and we landed in a, 
a town with yeah 200 people um and it was such a different vibe and everything changed so we weren't in western sydney anymore we were in uh, the middle of nowhere yeah you just mentioned you were on the run you moved schools eight times did you find it hard to sort of make friends and i guess sort of settle in when you're constantly constantly moving i think you don't really notice um at the time when you're you're moving house all the time i mean we spent a good like six years at a house which is the longest i've ever stayed in a house for um, for my childhood and it had a big weeping willow tree out the back and I'd play soccer and there were snakes and big spiders and I was very very scared of all of that stuff but I mean moving schools uh, I, I just got so used to being the new kid that uh, I kind of just slipped in but I think as an adult it's really affected me uh, but as a kid I, I had no idea I was just moving schools and jumping grades and one school didn't even have another student in my year so I had to move up a grade and then I moved schools again moved down back to the grades so I repeated the year and you know I made I made friends quite easily but they never stuck around well I uh I ended up going back to the the town uh playing a show about eight years ago um, in the local theatre that I had my first date in, which was pretty memories. surreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a good time. I caught up with old mates and went to an 18th birthday party. And it was a great time revisiting. So, yeah, I feel like my music career has been able to take me anywhere. I really wanted to go to recap. And... Yeah. No, that's good. Um, when did you guys finally sort of, I guess, move to Tassie and then sort of, I guess, start settling down or did your sort of your parents move a little bit more and did you just end up staying in Tassie? We all moved down as a family. I was about 12 at this point and I was just in high school, maybe 13, I don't know. But um, I started school at Newtown and, yeah, we, we ended up just moving house and moved house a few times. When you, you know, and your family finally moved to Tassie, did you sort of feel as if this was going to be a place you could finally sort of start to settle down with and sort of, I guess, start getting or start building a life and a career in music and all that sort of stuff? Or was that, did you sort of have it feeling in the back of your mind that you're probably going to get up and move sometime soon again? Um, I felt like we were pretty, pretty solid, you know, when we moved here. Uh, we all fell in love with the place and um, it was very welcoming. People people were so nice here and uh, the landscape was beautiful and I'd never seen a city. I'd call it a city because I... I'd never seen a big city like that before, apart from going through Melbourne um, to come here. I'd never even seen the ocean till I was 12. Tassie just kind of really reeled us in and, and we fell in love with the place. But yeah, things did go to shit <laughs> at some point, as they do. But yeah. you know, it was a it was a good move, I think. Um, what was that? What was that sort of? I guess that adjusting period, like you just mentioned, you hadn't seen the ocean until you were about twelve. What was it like adjusting from? I guess moving from a place with only two hundred people to Tassie, where there's endless possibilities. You can literally do whatever you want. There's what was that adjustment like? We kind of ended up going to churches, so that was kind of our basis um you know we we would go to the church and we were very christian that kind of formed our own little community um within that church and so we found we found some kind of community but 
a couple of years later, my parents broke up and I left the church. My brother left the church. Yeah, things things really changed during that period of probably when I was 15, I think. Can you sort of touch on, on that 15, when you were 15, that sort of period when your parents broke up and then I guess you leaving the church and your brother leaving the church and sort of, I guess, everyone to some extent going their separate ways can you just sort of touch on that yeah well i i ended up going busking as a as a thing i decided to you know hit the streets with music even though i was still singing christian songs at the time which is bizarre to to look back on but uh when when things fall apart like that and you're so young and you don't have much life experience then it it shapes you before you get to actually shape it so i found it quite enjoyable the process of us all going our separate ways and everyone moving out of the house and i was just living with my mother ever since basically on and off and i don't live with her now but uh yeah mum and i just spent a lot of time in a two-bed apartment kind of living the life you could say i was I was being a bit of a drunk 16-year-old musician busking every day and getting into all sorts of mischief and, you know, things, yeah, I started getting gigs and, you know, went on from there and I ended up touring and touring and touring. You could say I was running away from something, but I, I would say I was running towards something. So I guess we've always just been running as a family and we still yeah. are. Like obviously sports are pretty big role, plays a pretty big role from in my life personally. I guess when I was having this conversation with Ben as well, my brother, he sort of touched on how music's played a significant role in his life and sort of helping him, I guess, find not his purpose, but find sort of what he wants to do in life and how he sort of wants to live his life. Do you feel as if, I guess, music sort of played that similar role in your life and helping you, I guess, go to where you want to go with your life? Absolutely. Uh, And so did sport as well. I was massive into soccer. I was hugely, hugely wanting to be a soccer player uh, for years. Ever since I was a kid, you know, I could juggle the ball over a thousand times without it stopping. And I was addicted to playing and my dad was really motivating in that area. So soccer was what I wanted to do, but turns out music was the thing that really shaped me. And I found I found it kind of uh, relieved to certain uh, trauma or anxiety that I would maybe have had as a kid, especially moving around so much, you kind of, uh, you need something to turn to and soccer just wasn't really cutting it for me anymore. It was, uh, I wanted to enjoy it and not train five times a week. Music really, really started to overtake. So I gave soccer up. Yeah, music was just every day, every day, every second I was thinking about it. We'll touch We'll touch on your music now. Sort of when did that sort of start for you and sort of, I guess, you, you sort of, um, you see a lot of people, I guess, sing and play and play music and stuff like that. When did you sort of know that you weren't just a good singer, that you could sort of take this further and actually make a living out of it? You know, the first time I went busking, I earned $7 and in an hour and I thought, amazing, I've earned $7 and I can buy a chocolate bar with it. So it started from that. And then I would earn the next time like $30 and then $80. And and then I ended up down at Salamanca Markets making over $1,000. And it was just insane. I couldn't believe it that I could make a living off music. And, you know, at Newtown High School, uh, I had a big music kind of passion and uh, I wanted to play at every assembly and that's, you know, playing in front of 400 boys is uh, <laughs> can be absolutely terrifying. Um, 
and I thought I was going to get bashed when I when I finished the song. I was very nervous as to what people would think, but turns out that uh, they they really dug it. I felt good about that, and so I thought, well, if I can do this, and and sooner rather than later, you know. I was getting offered to support Matt Corby and Passenger and Stu Larson and Jack Cardi and Sean Kirk, basically all the folk musicians that I love. They all saw me, you know, from a young age. And I'd met this guy called Stu Larson when I was about 14. And he really inspired me to want to hit the road. He told me, he's like, just don't leave school. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just waiting for for mum to let me leave, you know, is like, just, just stay in school, mate. And I didn't oblige by that. And I left school basically that year when I was about 16, I left to uh, pursue music full time and I tried everything to, to push the music career, but I still wanted to enjoy music for what it was. And songwriting really became a big part of a uh, my life and I didn't know how the songs were getting written I had no idea but I can still listen to them back now and go they're not terrible songs for a 15 year old kid what, what sort of made you feel as if I guess we'll go well so we'll go back a little bit you mentioned when you sort of started playing um on stage at high school performing like an assembly and stuff like that and after you started you were performing you sort of felt scared because you thought you could get bashed why do you think um that was your thought process as soon as you got off the stage so you're obviously happy when you're on the stage and loving what you were doing but why did you sort of I guess feel as as if that was what was going to happen next well, as soon as you got off I think vulnerability in males um is a big thing I think males were and hopefully aren't now uh scared to be vulnerable and talk about and sing about your emotions to me I thought you know my, I was getting bullied in my class um being the new kid again and I thought well if my class is bullying me maybe the whole school's gonna start bullying me but turns out all the all the jocks I guess you could call them they were all giving me high fives and you know loving it and I was just going all right well they've got my back now so <laughs> screw my class who's all bullying me so music was a bit a bit of a defense mechanism too do you feel as if I guess getting that um confirmation from the higher grades all the jocks quote-unquote jocks and all those sort of guys um getting mm. that um confirmation from those guys sort of gave you a bit of confirmation yourself to sort of I guess be confident in your skills and your ability and I guess what you are doing is actually good and not just does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely yeah I mean every every time someone said anything nice about it it was uh it was very kind of uh uplifting I didn't have a whole lot of confidence to sing to people but if I had a stage I felt like there was a nice barrier and I remember standing backstage just shitting myself going wow like I'm really gonna do this um it just happened like anything happens but it was a it was a good I remember it so it's a good good to reminisce about that but the boys you know they were they just treated me differently and they, they it was like they're on my side and I'm like ah well you know just keep going with that then so uh, you mentioned earlier so you leave you leave school when you're 16 to and just for sure music I guess when the, when the idea comes to you oh I'm gonna leave school I'm gonna become a musician I'm gonna make all these songs I'm gonna make all this money and 
going to live an amazing life. Obviously, it's um, easier said than done. The first few months of you sort of, I guess, leaving school and becoming, quote unquote, a full-time artist and a, someone who wants to play a music for, for, the, for living, can you sort of touch on that first month and sort of the struggles you sort of had to face and the, well, not str- the challenges you had to face, sorry, and sort of how you overcame them? It was weird. It was really weird. It was like, it was almost like destiny. I, I, I didn't really feel like I was challenged in what I was doing. The probably the only challenge was the Hobart busking laws about amplification and uh whether you could busk for how long and you know I was just wanting to play all day and I was just encouraged by so many people and you know I wasn't earning that much money but I worked at McDonald's for you know three weeks and I worked at Woolworths for three weeks and every time I'd work a job I'd be like what am I doing with my life you know uh I I could be out in the street earning double the amount uh in an hour but it's a it's a risky kind of job. It's not it's not easy to get out and sing every day to people. But I think as a young kid, I was just very very eager to get it out, and I didn't feel too many struggles until you know probably twenty two years old. Uh, it was all very exciting, and people were like just getting behind it. So I I would say the challenges came in the last three years of uh you know going into adulthood and realizing that life is you know very very interesting you know and it's not all about music whereas I thought as a kid everything's about music and I wanted everything to be about songwriting and I made it happen but uh I think as an adult it's uh it's a bit harder to comprehend like you know currently I'm in the psychiatric unit just getting some rest from the outside world because I've been uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder that really affected me when I first got diagnosed which was probably after a good uh, seven or eight years of touring being pretty much homeless the whole time apart from my mum's couch and drugs became quite a, a common thing and alcohol became quite a common thing and I guess the slow decline of a uh, of wear and tear would be the way I would describe uh, doing the music thing it was a uh, it was exciting at first. I really loved it. Everything became what I wanted it to become. And then I started to feel different about how I was pursuing music because I'd met so many artists and so many different lights and famous people, not so famous people only became a challenge when I started to uh, delve into drugs a bit more and uh, relied on them for for comfort and uh you know, that's why I'm still fighting every day to stay off drugs and alcohol. And I feel really good at the moment and clear. I've been off them for a while now, so uh, things are looking up. But that that was probably the hardest challenge when there's, uh, there's a lot of stigma involved with musicians and uh, booze and, you know, late night. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely touch on that side of music and sort of that side of your life and the challenges that you face while touring but um we'll go we'll go I want to sort of I want to ask you a question when you um decided that you sort of wanted to go away and sort of start touring as a young 16 year old you obviously sort of thought of that all the good things that could happen looking back now do you feel as if you sort of placed a fair bit of pressure on yourself to succeed and to sort of make a lot of money while busking and I guess doing what you wanted to do and making music did you sort of feel as if you placed a significant amount of pressure on yourself oh yeah I'd say so I, I mean 
things were aligning. Uh, so I just pushed for them to happen. And, you know, I didn't really think twice about it. It was, uh, it was just a natural thing. Uh, and it always still does feel natural to do that as a, as a living. That's completely understandable. We'll, we'll touch on we'll touch on your music. So you obviously you've um, made a few albums. You made a few dropped made a few singles. Um, can you sort of touch on I guess that um, process of making albums and making songs and sort of I guess you come up with a song or was it just sort of does it just come up? I don't really know what I'm talking about right now, but so yeah, can you sort of just touch on that process of songwriting? Yeah, well that's that's why I love it is that there's no process. There's a I think it's just um, always being ready for a song to come to you, which is the hardest part about songwriting is that you have to wait uh, or be strumming your guitar all day to figure out something or, you know, just looking at your guitar going, come on, give me a song. But, uh, you know, it doesn't work like that. You've really got to go for a long walk or you've got to experience some things in life that uh, can shake you or can really build you as a person. A guitar just lets you, you know, you're the, you're just another instrument and it's more of a vessel type thing. It's not, it's not so much a uh, process or hard work or about money or about drugs or anything like that. It's just being ready for a song to come to you and to be able to jot it down. For me, I write my songs in about five minutes, 10 minutes. And if I don't, if they don't, if they take longer then I don't keep them. Uh, so I've now written over about a hundred and 50 songs and I just keep wanting them to to come to me so I just wait around and hope that it happens again um sometimes every time you write a song it feels like your last song or every time I get up on stage it feels like my last gig you just mentioned you sort of you like to write a song within five and ten minutes and if you don't sort of I guess finish a song by then you just don't really keep it can you sort of touch in on that mindset and sort of why you sort of take that sort of I guess process with making your music yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it hits me like a big brick wall and it's like I run into this brick wall and I have to write the song as I'm falling down before I hit the ground. And once I've hit the ground, then, you know, there's, there's no coming back and getting that feeling of emotion to come across, it, it's different for everyone. But for me, it's like preparing yourself for a 100-metre running race and you do all this training, but for music, there's a bit of training involved, but, you know, a lot of it's about being in tune with uh, certain things. And, um, yeah, once you run that 100-metre race, the sprint's done and hopefully you get a prize for it. But, you know, I'm not really in it for a prize anymore. I, I used to love attention and people pointing at me on the streets or something, but now I've just accepted it and I... Uh, I live with that. And what advice would you sort of offer a young 16-year-old Jed knowing everything you sort of know now about, I guess, the music industry and sort of the mental impact it has on on people and or even on yourself personally? What would you sort of offer a young Jed who's sort of sitting down right now and trying to make music or trying to, I guess, sort of figure out what to do next with his music career? I got told by a passenger when I was 16, uh, passenger's quite a a well-known folk singer um, or singer-songwriter. He had a big hit and I used to ask him all the time. I was like, man, what do I do? How do I do this? Like, And the only piece of advice he ever gave me was just keep doing what you're doing. And it really pissed me off because I was like, like I've been doing what I'm doing. Like 
just keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, what does that mean? Like, I would give that advice to myself as well, because I think the mystery of not knowing what you're doing is a little bit more fun than uh, having that kind of wake up every day and have a, you know, a, a job almost. Like, I, I never want to feel like music's a full-time job or something, because then it becomes quite depressing. And You just touched on Passenger there, actually. You've obviously mentioned that you, um, you've you opened for him and Matt Corby and a few others over the time. What sort of that, or how has that sort of experience sort of helped you? Every, you know, if I got an email from a booking agent saying, did you want to support Matt Corby? I'd run around my room just screaming in excitement. That would almost keep me going for another two months until I played the show and the come down was always huge. And, you know, when you'd meet these artists who are where you, uh, doing what you want to do, it's so inspiring. And just to hug them and for them to hug you back and really mean it. That's all I need or a handshake or whatever it is. Uh, you don't need words. You don't need encouragement. You just need that kind of connection, you know, and I think that's what it's all about. And I think all of these artists that got quite famous and, um i was supporting them every now and then and they i think they just empathized with me because they know how long of a road it can be and i was so young when i started and looking back now i would be empathetic of myself and just tell myself to keep going and keep running the road that you want to run on and the road to me is life and life is the road and even if i'm not on the road i'm still on the road of life so i feel like that's always inspiring because you're never in the same place or you're never in the same kind of comfort I guess you could say quick question on your music so what would you say your favorite song is well it must it has to be too scared um it's it's kept me going for a long time uh, and, and I reckon it'll keep me going for life that song the it says too scared of failure just like everyone else and that line you know i go wow like i don't want to be scared of failure because i feel like it makes you grow and it makes you humble and you know i would constantly keep failing just to learn about what i failed in or something so i've failed many a times with uh with life and music but uh, that's what kind of the song kept me going yeah, I absolutely love that. Was there, I guess, a reason, reasoning behind that, that song? Like you mentioned earlier, that you don't really just write songs for the sake of it. It sort of has to be a meaning. What was, sort of, I guess, the meaning behind that song and sort of what stage of your life are you sort of at to write something like that? That's so, I guess, making yourself so vulnerable to write a song about being scared and being afraid of, I guess, failing yeah, can you just sort of touch on that stage of your life that you're sort of going on? Well, originally my thought was that I wrote it for my sister. She's uh, she's found it hard, uh, well, in my imagination, to uh, adjust to certain living scenarios. And I've always empathised with her about uh, trying new things. And originally it was for her. Then the song really opened up about everyone and about myself. So it's kept me going purely out of wanting to love my sister and go, here you go. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her I wrote the song for her, but she might know now if she listens to the podcast, but (laughs) I still really haven't told her. Um, (laughs) I think she's going to find out now. (laughs) That's cool, though. I think 
as a song it's 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 powerful to me because i i don't i don't want to be scared of things and it made me really uh, able to pursue that dream um it says to run far for your dreams and i go well you know i'm gonna keep running for that my whole life until i die so i hope i'm 85 when i pass away and can look back at that song and go yep i'm still still singing it you know, i absolutely love that um well we've gone to the sort of the main section of the podcast where we're just sort of chatting about um some of the challenges you face throughout your life and i guess one of the biggest challenge you face throughout your life and sort of i guess how it affected you what you learned from it, and sort of any advice you'd be willing to offer but sort of before we jump into that actually I've sort of been asking people this question over the past um, few weeks on the last episode, uh, last season of the podcast, sorry. Vulnerability, can you sort of, I guess, elaborate on sort of how you would define vulnerability and sort of, I guess, what makes you vulnerable the most? That's a good question. That's That's a really good question. Vulnerability, I mean, I think being vulnerable to yourself is the, is the hardest thing. Um, you know putting yourself out into positions say busking on the street that's very vulnerable but at the same time naivety comes into it and you go well I was just a naive kid and I wasn't actually that scared or feeling that vulnerable the older I'm getting the the more I feel vulnerable um, and it really kind of has caused a lot of uh, what would you call it inward inward thinking inward processing and maybe not reaching out to people um, because that's a different kind of vulnerability when you're reaching out to people, asking for help. And whereas I think you need to be vulnerable with yourself first and then be like, okay, I'm going to reach out and tell people about my vulnerability. Mine's always been about, you know, my bipolar. I'm very open about what it is to me. And I feel like that kind of vulnerability of, knowing who to talk to and feeling safe to uh, be vulnerable around a person. Um, it takes a lot of trust and it takes a lot of, you know, instinct. And um, it really does take a community to, uh, to build anything. And I feel like I've had so much support with friends and loved ones that I have been able to be super vulnerable around. But the older I'm getting, the harder that can be. So I'm really hoping that uh, uh, I keep singing songs to uh, to stay there. You touched on your bipolar and sort of how you've been pretty open about it throughout your adult hold it all over time. Sorry, can you touch on when that sort of started and sort of when I guess you finally or not finally when you decided that you need help? And you touched on I guess being vulnerable with yourself first is where you got to start. So you obviously accepted that you were going through a few issues and you needed help, but was there a certain moment that you sort of, I guess, sat down and sort of said, well, no, nah, I've got to get help here and I've got to start talking about what's going on? Yeah, it was my, it was my first psychotic episode and uh, that forced me into getting help. I was sent in an ambulance to the hospital and I had to uh, be in the hospital for a month um, getting treatment and my friends would come and visit me and I'd be very, you know, open to them about what was going on. And uh, that was, that was a life-changing moment when I, I, I couldn't, it wasn't up to me. It was, a, you know, something else that sent me up the wall and I, I ended up in hospital and I just had to deal with it. Being in hospital, like, can you touch on that and sort of, I guess, 
what's right in your mind and your mental health and sort of like well you're there you're there by yourself practically and when, when your friends aren't there obviously your friends and family aren't there when they go back to their lives it's just you and the other patients mm. and the nurses and doctors can you just touch on when it's just you you and your thoughts and what, whatever you're going through can you just touch on that a little bit yeah man it's uh it's it's still a scary thing like i've been in and out of hospital eight times now and i feel like it's always like a a, a lap around the sun uh when i end up back in here it's uh um, it takes a lot of courage to come into here and to seek help from the nurses and the doctors and trust the psychiatrists and psychologists and the team around you. So um, I've had to learn to open up to all of these uh, people I didn't know who were professionals in what they did. And um, they're still trying to figure out uh, what the, the right treatments and because uh, it's very hard to be on anti-psychotics when you want to create music. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very uh, hard run, but uh, I've loved every bit of it as well. Um, the hospital's helped me in so many ways, um, and it still continues to. But, yeah, I don't plan to come back here again, I, <laughs> but you never know. You just never know. But knowing that there's a health system to support you is a... I absolutely love that mindset with you planning to come back there again. We'll touch on faith a little bit. Do you feel as if, I guess, faith has sort of helped you a little bit with trying to, I guess, figure out or working out where you are in life and where you want to go and sort of not ending back into hospital and having to deal with all these sort of stuff again? Absolutely, yeah. I, I have faith in music, Um and music to me is like speaking to God. Um, and I still believe in uh, maybe not the Christian faith or any religion, but I believe that there's a some kind of thing driving it and faith in yourself, I think you have to have uh, to pursue. Yeah. And faith in your friends and faith in your family that, you know, they'll be there for you at your worst times. Can you sort of touch a little bit about your the, your bipolar disorder and sort of, like, I don't really know too much about it. I obviously know what bipolar is, but, um, yeah, can you just elaborate a little bit on that and sort of, I guess, what causes you to go into hospital and to, I guess, need medication and all that sort of stuff? Can you sort of touch on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, when you go so euphorically high or something um, after doing an album, um, for me anyway, I get quite heightened and I forget to take my medication and I forget to do this and forget to do that. And I get so overwhelmed with excitement or I'm so overwhelmed with depression, uh, with my manic lows. And then I end up maybe taking too many. Um, I tried to overdose one time and uh, wasn't successful, obviously, but I, uh, I learned a lot from that and chose life after that. I've been fighting that manicness that you get and trying to understand how and all the signs and all of the the kind of uh yeah they're signs you 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 learn to just go wow okay i'm there now so i better seek help but a lot of the time you i mean i have no idea say it could be two weeks of me in bed and by the second week i'll finally be like 
maybe I should message a friend and tell them to come over or see my psychologist and she'll say, yeah, I think the hospital's where you need to go. A lot of it is with my psychologist. We talk about a lot of things and um, about how music's affecting me and people and that really, really helps getting professional help as well as, you know, getting your friends to help. That's great. But uh, professional help is, uh, you know, you don't want to put too much tax on your friends for, for, for me anyway. I feel like I get very uh, uh, self-conscious about putting too much on them. So seeking professional help is where I'm at now. And, you know, I'm constantly trying to find the right, people I, I feel like I found you know a good psychologist and things are going well now it's just uh you know battling the manic lows you know you've got to look after your diet you've got to look after your personal life and everything that comes around with that so obviously you've been in um hospital a fair bit um can you sort of touch on I guess the first time you were in hospital compared to the last time you were and yeah. sort of, I guess, the things you've learned, not only from yourself, but I guess this disorder and how to cope with it and sort of how to, I guess, still use music as a, co- as, as a way to escape it and sort of continue living the life you sort of want to live with. That's it. Yeah. I, I, the first time I went in, I was angry and I was raging and I smashed my own guitar in the hallway. I, uh, I, I was playing uh, <laughs> I was playing a Bob Dylan song called uh, Rainy Day Women and I finished the song and there were about five security guards down the hallway and I smashed my guitar as hard as I could on the ground and it was a nice guitar too. I wish I didn't smash it, but uh, uh, I was feeling something so pent up in myself and I just smashed the guitar and I had five security guards grab me limb by limb and threw me into the isolation room uh, and that particular moment when you're in a room with four white walls around you with scratch marks and, you know, it gets very creepy. And uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I, I remember that moment and I was playing music for all day as, as a, an escape. And uh, I still bring my guitar into the hospital and play music as much as I can to, to help. After eight trips in and out, all for different kind of reasons and episodes. Um, they, I've learned to really thank the nurses, thank the doctors, and really I know they're on my side. It's a crazy time for the health system anyway, but, uh, yeah, learning to just, like, trust whoever's around you to, to help that they're helping. Uh, and sometimes that's very difficult when... You know, you're not allowed outside and you've got to get accompanied leave. And, you know, there's all this kind of logistics towards going to hospital, but it's totally worth it in the end. I feel you, it's like becoming a, a baby again and you get to kind of renew your senses and it's a, it's a great feeling. Such an unreal mindset, Jed. Just the way you're so content about everything that sort of happened to you and sort of how the process you have to go through and you, well, you know the process that you have to go through just to know, just to be able to get mm. out of the hospital and to go sort of go back to your life and go back to living your life and playing music. Like you obviously just didn't just get that mindset. Like it, it had to be built over time. And do you, mm. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you feel as if 
you've gotten or you've become a better person, become a better artist, become a better son, brother, friend, because of you've started to accept what you've gone through and sort of start to accept what you have to deal with, with having bipolar and all the things that come with it. Yeah. My, my dad and I have recently been getting along so much better than what we used to. And it took a lot of communication with friends to really understand what I wanted to do. And being alone was a lot of the reason was I wanted to be alone. Um, I'd met so many people on the road and uh, there were so many people influencing me that I just needed to be by myself. And through that, all of my relationships with close friends have, have really gone deeper and deeper. I feel so, so lucky to have a good handful of friends that would, you know, do anything for me and I would do anything for them. And we continue to all support each other and it's, you know, it's, a, it's growing and that's, that's it really. I, I want to grow as a person and through music, through even talking to other patients in the ward, you, you really get to know other people and yourself by having these conversations with people about how their troubles and life's not all about yourself. And so you really start to open up to life in general. That's, I think that's a great place to place to stop Jed. And, um, Awesome. I just, I just want to say, I'm like, obviously we've tried to do this a few times, and we both had yeah. things come up, and I'm really glad that you've sort of taken the time out to to chat with me. And I really do mean that. Chat me about, chat to me about the things you've gone through. Obviously, I've never seen this side of you, and we've always like, we've, mm. you're obviously really close, close friends. My brother, my brothers yeah. through the music and all that sort of stuff, but me going through to high school with you, you're definitely someone that I always knew that I could talk to and knew that through yeah. obviously because of sport and soccer, knew that I always had a friend in you and some of the other grade tens, but just sort of I guess see this sort of side of you to know that someone like you who's who's always so bubbly and ready to go and try everything, do something different, was mm. struggling this much is something that I guess just continues to push the message that like it's honestly okay not to be okay and not That's to it. judge yeah. not to judge people because some, you never That's know it. what what someone may be going through so i oh, i'm really thankful that you did take this time out to have a chat to me jed i really really do appreciate it mate oh, bless you thank you so so much for having me on the on the podcast it's a, it's okay, a great mate. idea it's what it's what needs to happen more conversation oh good mate all good mm-hmm. Uh, yeah once again thanks so much for coming on Matt I love you Matt all good love you too if this episode has triggered anything for you around mental health don't remain unannounced visit www.staychatty.com.au slash get help for a list of services